So before we kind of jump in, I just want to preface this with uh, worship is very much a lifestyle. Um, it's not just singing songs on a weekend. Um, but I find that if we've been in church for any amount of time, whether we've grown up in church or maybe uh, we've just started attending, sometimes we can equate worship with just the music part or what the band does or even what we do in the service because everything that we do here in the service is technically worship, right? Not just the music, but um, tithing, prayer, the, the sermon, that's all part of worship. However, I also believe that everything that we do as Christians can be an act of worship. So whether that is uh, working, whether that is, um, you know, how we treat the relationships, the people in our lives, um, whether that's being creative, so doing things like woodworking or art or even things like sports can all be an act of worship. Today, though, we're going to be talking wor about worship in the more practical side of it um, and in the context of what we do here in a service. So we're going to talk about, well, what is worship? What is praise? And what are the differences between the two? Uh, and we're also going to talk about the expressions of worship. So um, things like why do we clap when a worship song ends? Why do we stand up and why do we sing in worship? So let's get into it. So the first I'm going to talk about praise versus worship. So there actually is a difference between praise and worship, but a lot of times in churches, um, the two are often confused, and a lot of times um, they're used almost interchangeably, which I think leads to some of the confusion, but there actually is a difference. So praise is something that we direct to God, or praise can be when we tell others about what God has done in our lives. And praise is actually something that we hear all the time, um, even outside of a church context, right? If I don't know how many people still watch cable, but if you watch cable TV or you listen to the radio or a podcast, you always hear like advertisements. Uh, and we hear praise. And most of the time it's about products, right? Like buy this laundry detergent. It'll make your clothes white as snow. It's the best laundry detergent, right? praising the product. Praise has to do with God and what he's done. And see, praise can either be direct, and so those are moments where um, we say things like, we're talking to God and we say, God, you're so good. God, you're so wonderful. But praise can also be indirect. So those are moments where, um, again, we share our story of what God has done in our lives, and we say, you know, God is so good, man. He healed my knee. And biblically, praise should be both vocal and proclaimed out loud. And a couple of verses uh, just state this. So Psalm 66, verse 8 says, Bless our God, O people. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Isaiah 40, verse 9. Go, up, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Now you might be thinking, okay, that's cool, but like why should we praise? Well, there's actually a couple of reasons for that. Um, and the first is that we're actually commanded to praise by God. Psalm 150 verse 1 says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. 
praise him in his mighty heavens. And this passage is not saying like, well, if you want to, you can praise him. Or like, if you feel like it, you can praise him. It's a clear command. It's saying like, praise him. Second reason why we should praise is because scripture says that God is actually enthroned on our praise. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And I believe there's another uh, passage in scripture as well that says uh, God actually inhabits the praises of his people. Third reason why we should praise is because there's power in praise. See, one of the things that I've learned over the years is when we stop focusing on ourselves and we place our focus and attention on God, when we praise him for who he is and what he's done, then God is magnified. Then he can move and release power and provision on our behalf. And uh, just as an encouragement for you, there's power when we declare the name of Jesus and we praise the name of Jesus over situations and people. And I actually saw this firsthand. Some of you might know me a little bit better than others, but um, through the years, I've actually had the honor and privilege of um, being able to lead worship and travel with different teams, uh, both in Canada and overseas. And so one of the places that we went to um, was Slovenia. So we were in a Roma village, a poor village, doing ministry. And we were working with a local church team that was there. And they would do, like, their regular church service in their church. And then they would send out the same team uh, to go and do a church service in this uh, little Roma village. And majority of the people weren't saved. Um, but they were slowly coming to Christ. And so when we were there, um, we had done the service. So we did some things with the kids. Um, we did worship and preaching and all of that stuff. And there was this couple that at the end of the service, they came running up and they were like, we need Jesus, we need Jesus. And we were like, okay. But there was like such a, an urgency and a desperation that we we're like, okay, something happened here. Like what's going on? Like what's the story? Um, and they began to give God praise and through that, they told their story. See, a week before we had arrived, um, and we're doing ministry in Slovenia, uh, the couple had uh, a little two-year-old boy. And they weren't saved at this point, um, like before we had gotten there. Um, and the mom had been watching the two-year-old boy, and they had a um, swimming pool nearby. And she just stepped into the house for like, a minute just to like grab something and came back out and the two-year-old had fallen into the pool and uh, they tried to get him out they got him out um, he was not doing well so they took him to the hospital and he ended up um, passing away in hospital doctors declared him dead and then when she was there in the hospital sitting at the bed with her little boy she had remembered something in passing because, again, she wasn't saved, so she didn't attend any of these, like, church services <laughs> that the, the Christians would put on. Um, but she remembers that one day she had been walking her little boy. She had the stroller, and she was just walking by them. And she had heard something, them talking about something about the name of Jesus and how there's power in the name of Jesus and how when we're in trouble and we need help, we can call on the name of Jesus, and he will help us. 
And she's like, well, I got nothing to lose. So she just prayed in the hospital. And she's like, God, Jesus, if you're real, bring my boy back. Nothing happens. So she prays again. Nothing happens. Prays again. Nothing happens. And now she's starting to get a little annoyed and a little irritated. So she begins to just like progressively get louder and louder and louder till it gets to the point where she's literally in the hospital screaming at the top of her lungs, Jesus, Jesus, right? And all the people in the hospital are like, who is this crazy lady that's just like screaming? Um, and then she said that she had like kind of heard a noise and she looked over and her boy, um, the color had started coming back into his face and he had started to breathe again and he actually came back to life. And doctors were astounded because they had already like, had already pronounced him dead. Um, and so by the time we had arrived and done the service, her and her husband came running up and they were like, we know that Jesus is real because he brought our son back to life. We know that Jesus is real because we know that we can call on his name and he will pull through. We know that God is real because he is faithful and we need him in our lives and we want to serve him for the rest of our lives. And so this couple ended up accepting Christ um, and we actually saw their little boy, beautiful two-year-old little boy, uh, little adventurous, little rambunctious, but he's cute. So he was just like running and playing and um, having fun. But just as an encouragement for you guys, our God is not dead. Like our God is still in the business of redeeming and healing and restoring. Um, and he's still raising people back to life. Like this isn't something that just happened in Bible times. Um, and so just as an encouragement for you, church, there's power when we praise and when we declare the name of Jesus. Worship is something deeper than praise. Where praise is um, vocal and proclaimed out loud, worship is more intimate and involves the heart. And this is why in Exodus 10, where we have the Ten Commandments, God actually commands, do not worship any other God except for the Lord your God. And God actually commands this because worship is deeper. It's rooted and stems from our heart. And because of this, because it stems from our heart, worship isn't always seen or heard. And if you want to compare praise and worship, you can kind of think of it this way. So praise is more horizontal. It can be vertical too, but it's more horizontal where it's like us talking about what God has done in our lives. Whereas worship is more vertical in the sense that it's us placing focus on the mightiness of God and placing attention and focus on God because he's above us. So when it comes to praise and worship, um, there's something called the nine expressions of worship. And if you've grown up in church um, or been in church for any amount of time, you might have heard of this. Um, but there's three with the hands, which are lifting hands, clapping, playing instruments. There's three with the feet, so dancing, standing, and then these three are in the same category. Um, but it's bowing, kneeling, and laying prostrate, which means like laying face down. Three with the mouth, singing, shouting, and speaking with tongues. And each of these is a form of expressing our praise, but it's also a form of worship warfare against the enemy. And I love that we were singing this morning about um, that God holds the victory. 
that he fights on our behalf, and he totally does. But I believe that in doing these things, there are practical things that we can do as worship warfare against the enemy. So we're going to go through them. So the first one is lifting hands. Now, lifting hands is typically seen as an act of surrender. And I don't know what kind of, like, movies or shows you guys like to watch, but if you've seen, like, a crime show or, like, a cop movie or something, if somebody is threatened or they're afraid, typically, like, what do they do? They put their hands up. And that's because putting your hands up is typically seen as a sign of surrender. And we see lifting hands, putting your hands up, um, used in worship and scripture. So I'm going to go through a couple verses. So the first is Nehemiah 8, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Psalm 28, verse 2. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Psalm 63, verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. I desire, this is Paul speaking. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, lifting hands is also uh, reminiscent of, uh, of the image of a child lifting up their hands to the father, right? I think there's so much, like, you can learn so much by watching a little kid. Because even a child that is nonverbal, like, they can't speak yet, they still know how to communicate, right? Um, right? I know I have all the parents nodding. Um, all of the little kids, like, when they're small and they find that safe person, they know that, like, their parent or grandparent or family member, whoever it is, they're a safe person. And when they want to feel safe, what do they do? They lift their hands because they know that they're going to be picked up. <laughs> right? And it's the same with us and our Heavenly Father when we lift our hands. It's like the child lifting up their hands to the Father. The cool thing, though, is that at times in Scripture, we actually see the people commanded by God to lift their hands as an act of warfare. So an example of this we see in Exodus 17. So Israel is fighting with Amalek. And Moses is commanded by God to lift his hands in battle. And when he kept his hands raised, the Israelites began to win over the enemy. But as soon as he started putting his hands down, like his hands got tired, he started putting his hands down, the enemy began to overtake them and win. So when he kept his hands raised, it was a form of warfare against the enemy. And God was actually battling on behalf of the Israelites. And I think this is such a beautiful picture of what happens when we surrender things to the Lord, right? Because it's like Moses has his hands raised. He's surrendering the situation to the Lord. And he starts to have victory over it. But as soon as his hands start going down, it's like he's taking back control of the situation. <laughs> they start losing. The second one is clapping hands. So this is also another form of expressing our worship. Psalm 47 verse 1 says, Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with, song, with loud songs of joy. So when we clap our hands, it's not done just because um, everyone else is doing it. It's not done just because the worship song ended or, like, the band played a cool song. Um, 
it's actually used as an expression of joy. And again, I like using kids as an example because I think you can learn so much. But if you think of like a baby, when they're happy, what do they do? They clap their hands together. But clapping our hands is also a form of worship warfare against the enemy. So bear with me. I don't speak Hebrew, um, so I'm probably going to butcher this, but I'm going to try my best. Um, the Hebrew word that's actually used in scripture is called naka, And it means to clap, yes, but then the flip of the meaning means to strike or attack. And so when we clap, essentially we're expressing our worship for God. But we're also reminding Satan of the hammer hitting the nails on the cross. And essentially, it reminds Satan of his defeat. And I've actually been in worship services where um, there's been these spontaneous God moments. And oftentimes, it'll be like on a slower song or something. And it's totally, again, like spontaneous. The worship leader hasn't told people to clap their hands or anything. But the congregation will just start clapping their hands as one. And it just happens. And the song and the feel of it, it just takes on like this military beat. It's powerful. The next one is playing instruments. So we see this in scripture as well. Psalm 150, verse 3 to 5. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing symbols. So Psalm 150 is actually known as the musician's psalm, um, and we can see why. Because in it, we're commanded to praise God with instruments. And um, many other times throughout scripture, we also see instruments being used in worship or as part of worship to God. So Ezra 3 verse 10, um, just a little bit of context. So the Israelites had just rebuilt the temple um, after leaving it for many years, and they were kind of prevented from building it. But it says, and when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. Second Chronicles 7, verse 6. The priests stood at their posts, the Levites also, with the instruments for music to the Lord that, Dave, that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Whenever David offered, offered praises by their ministry, opposite them the priests sounded trumpets and all Israel stood. So again, this is just to name a couple verses. There's a lot more. Um, but again, several times throughout scripture, we also see the playing of instruments used in the context of warfare. And an example of this is in Joshua 6.20. When the Israelites are marching around Jericho, well, what did they do? The seventh time around, they blew their trumpets. You see the instruments being used, and they let out a great shout. Another example of this is found in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21, where um, the Israelites are actually commanded by God to end out the musicians and worshipers out first in battle, uh, and the Lord won the victory for them. So uh, I'm just going to read it out. It says, uh, and when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were sing who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures 
forever. Now, I don't know about you, but as a musician, I don't know that I would be so willing. Like, if I saw the enemy encamped over there with all their swords and arrows and spears, that I would be like, yeah, I'll take my uh, guitar or my harp, and I'll just sing, and I'll go first <laughs> towards them. Like, I think that's incredible faith that Israel had, and even those musicians, to be able to do that. Um, and also just the sovereignty of God that he, he won the battle for them that day. I think it's amazing. Um, and again, I've also been in services too where I've seen uh, uh, instruments being used in the context of warfare. Uh, in Bible college, I actually had a friend. He was an electric guitar player. Um, but any time that he played on a worship team, um, he would always uh, pray. And he would always ask, like, God, who do you want me to play over? And when he was on the stage playing, God would highlight people to him. And so as he was playing, he would begin to um, pray and intercede for those individuals. And most of the time, like, they had no idea that he was doing that. Um, but he would see people just, like, break down crying because the Lord was ministering to them or, like, different things like that um, where God was just very tangibly touching people. So instruments can be warfare as well, too. Number four, one of my favorites, dancing. So this is actually biblical. Um, and we see it used several times throughout Scripture. And I just want to say as well, because um, maybe some people here are more reserved, dancing is not always jumping, okay? Dancing can also be swaying or it can be stepping side to side. But it is biblical. So Exodus 15, 20 to 21, it says, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Second Samuel 6, verse 14 to 16, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Psalm 30, verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Psalm 149, verse 3, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with the tambourine and lyre. And Acts 3, verse 8, this is the paralytic who got healed. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the table temple sorry with him walking and leaping and praising god and of course dancing can also be used as a form of intercession and warfare against the enemy um there was an old saying in like christian circles back in the day that was uh like dancing upon injustice so yes it can be used uh number five standing standing is shown throughout scripture to actually be the proper posture when it comes to worship and this is why typically at the beginning when the music starts, um, whoever is leading worship typically invites the congregation to join together and stand as we worship. Um, and so we actually see in scripture that the band um, stood. So we see this in Second Chronicles 5 verse 12. It says, And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in five fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. So they had a massive worship team. Um, 
But not only the musicians, the congregation themselves would also stand. So we see this in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 6. It says, The priests stood at their posts, the Levites also, with the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Whenever David offered praises by their ministry opposite them, the priests sounded trumpets and all Israel stood. So Israel was the congregation, they would stand. Second Chronicles 29, verse 26, the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Psalm 135, verse 2, who stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. Revelation 4, verse 9 and 11, it talks about the elders um, that are there, they stand and fall down. So whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns, their crowns signifying their authority, before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So standing is also typically seen as a sign of respect, right? And we see this in the natural too. Um, so if you think about it, if the queen were to walk in here um, or some dignitary or ambassador, well, typically we would probably all stand as a sign of respect, right? Um, and we see this at weddings too. Um, when the bride walks in, what does everyone do? They all stand. But also in the sense of warfare, Standing also acts to help keep us alert and ready for anything that may come our way. So if you think of a soldier, right? If a soldier is on duty, chances are they're not, they're probably not sitting around or laying down and just like getting comfy. No, they're probably like standing or they're walking around because they need to be alert if they're on duty. And if something is going to happen, they need to be ready. It's the same with us spiritually. Next one is bowing, kneeling, and laying prostrate, which again, laying face down. Um, so these are all counted kind of in the same category. And again, there's examples found many times throughout Scripture. Psalm 95 verse 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And of course, Revelation 19, verse 4, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. So kneeling, bowing, and laying down typically show respect and surrender. Um, if you think about it, these positions are positions of, well, surrender and vulnerability. Kneeling as well can also be seen as a sign of allegiance. So if you think about like in ancient times, like medieval times or whatever, and maybe even today, I don't know, if somebody is going to um, be knighted by a monarch or if someone's pledging allegiance to a monarch, I don't know if they still do that today, but um, typically they kneel, right? So it signifies the same thing when we kneel. It's a sign of surrender, but also allegiance to our king, the king of kings. Number seven is singing. So singing is probably, I would say, the most common form of praise today. And uh, actually the Psalms, the book of Psalms in your Bibles, 
or e-Bible, um, was actually songs that would have all been sung and put to music. That's why in, uh, in the Psalms, in the top like heading after the title, it'll say like for the choir master or things like that because it would have been put to music. And countless times in scripture, um, we see different calls to either sing to the Lord or sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 89 verse 1 says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. Psalm 105 verse 2 says, Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Isaiah 42 verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that's in it, you islands and all who live in them. And Acts 16 verse 25, Paul and Silas in prison, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. And you know, singing is also a form of warfare. Uh, just thinking about like Paul and Silas in prison, here they are, two guys that have been put in prison for um, sharing the gospel. They're praising God. They're singing. They're worshiping. And the prison doors literally break open. And truthfully, I've also been in services. And as, as, as a musician, as a worship leader, you always try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he's wanting to do. And so there have been moments where I have spoken out something or I've sang something out, um, but it's only ever at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And God has used that to bring uh, healing or breakthrough to people. And I learned a very long time ago that it's not it's not us, it's not the band, it's not our talent, it's not our skill, but it's the Lord ministering and moving. God is the one who breaks chains. God is the one who heals. God is the one who restores. It's not us. But again, when we place our focus and our attention on him, when we surrender to him, then we put ourselves we position ourselves in a place where then God can move and fight on our behalf. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Which, like, this isn't in my notes, but I think this is also a good um, picture of how we should enter into worship with a grateful heart before the Lord. And again, um, scripture talks about that in other verses too. Number eight is shouting. So shouting is actually biblical to use in worship as well. Um, the Hebrew word that's used is called Hillel. And this is where we actually get our English word hallelujah from. And it means to cry or shout out of joy. And shouting was used many times in worship. We see this in scripture. Psalm 47 verse 1 says, Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Other translations say, Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 66 verse 1. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Psalm 95 verse 1 
to two. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 98, verse 4 to 6. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. And again, we see shouting used in scripture. I mean, typically shouting when you're facing off against an enemy, it's seen as an um, intimidation tactic. But we also see it used in uh, Joshua 6.10 as well, where the Israelites are marching around Jericho. Um, yeah, they blow the trumpet and then they shout. And I've actually also seen this used in a warfare context too, like in a service. Um, a few years ago, I was actually talking with the pastors about it this week. Um, we were at ministers gathering. And for those of you that don't know what ministers gathering is, it's basically a conference that um, our district puts on for all of the pastors uh, in our district um, once a year. And so it's about like... I think four or 500 pastors that get together. And then it's just a time of like teaching and training. So they have different like workshops and sessions. Um, and it's just a great time of uh, connecting as well. Um, so we were at Ministers Gathering and we were in one of the sessions, one of the main sessions, and they had a speaker um, and he felt very led by the Holy Spirit to make a declaration for the coming year um, and then to shout. And so he made the declaration, well, he prayed, made the declaration, and then he counted one, two, three, and then everybody shouted at the top of their lungs. And it was just like such a powerful moment because instantly it was like you could feel the presence of God so like tangibly and like thick in that room. And it was a very powerful moment. And I have friends even um, who, talking with them afterwards, like they had a lot of like breakthrough moments and they could link it back to that night. So there is power in shouting as well, and praise and worship. Lastly is speaking in tongues. So, of course, we're a Pentecostal church, and um, we're commanded by God to praise God with our entire being. Uh, Psalm 103 verse 1 says, all that is within me, praise his holy name. And tongues is really just a heavenly language that goes where our words cannot. Essentially, when we speak in tongues, it's our spirit conversing with the Holy Spirit. And it can also be used as a warfare weapon when we're beginning to uh, pray or intercede. So those are the nine expressions of worship. Um, and I just want to say, too, like... When it comes to utilizing these things, um, I think as people, sometimes the biggest hindrance can be fear of man. And I remember, like, even when I was younger, this was something that I dealt with, too, um, where it was like, man, I was so scared even just to, like, raise my hand or, like, dance. Because it was, like, this thing of, like, oh, my gosh, like, the people around me, they're going to, like, notice and they're going to be watching me. And, like, people are going to comment. And, like, the reality is, is, like, no one actually cares. <laughs> but it's just, like, this thing where it's, like, you're so fearful of it. And so I would like to just challenge you guys. Um, maybe you do a couple of these things, like maybe like you sing or maybe you like raise your hand, but 
maybe try to stretch and grow a little bit and do something that is a little bit out of your comfort zone. And even if that's just like at home, when you're like alone in your bedroom or your kitchen or wherever you spend time with the Lord, um, but begin to practice these things because I do believe um, they are tools that we can use uh, for warfare against the enemy when it comes to worship as well.